When I was about, I think I was about 12 years old, I decided to take piano lessons of my own free will. Uh, it only lasted, though, about nine months. I basically wanted to learn how to play Axel F, which uh, was the theme to Beverly Hills Cop, for those of you who can remember, uh, and Rocket by Herbie Hancock. Now, if, if you're like, if you're under 30, that means nothing to you. Just think lots of 80s synthesizer type music because I was cool like that. But it, it, it only lasted about nine months. Now, why did it only last about nine months? Well, number one, there was suffering involved. There was a lot of tedious practice playing songs like Row, Row, Row Your Boat that I had no interest in spending time working on. The other thing that happened was that there were other interests growing in my life, like playing basketball for as many hours a day as I possibly could. And so that crowded out my interest in playing the piano. And so after about nine months, uh, I gave it up. Uh, Later, when I got to college, I decided that I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. Uh, This time, for those of you who can remember, I wanted to learn how to play Hole in My Heart by Extreme. And she talks to angels by the Black Crows. So I got at least one out of four good songs in that list. But, But again, there was suffering involved. There was practice that I didn't really want to do. Uh, There were other interests in my life that crowded out time with the guitar. I owned a guitar. I had a guitar case. It even had stickers on it, right? And and which which makes it legit. Except for one of mine was a case with stickers. So anyway, if anybody remembers what that was. I didn't really have the music in me. I gave the appearance of having the music in me. But the reality was I didn't, and I, I, I never did, and I probably never will. Uh, today we're going to look at, at four types of people in this passage who hear the music of the gospel. They hear the music of the gospel, but there's only one group that really gets the music of the gospel in them. The other, two, two at least of the other three groups give the appearance of having the musical, music of the gospel in them, but they never really have it. Suffering comes. Uh, Other things that are just more important to them crowd out the effect of the word of God in their lives. And it it, it has no effect long term. It, It produces no lasting change in their lives. For a time, they looked interested. For a time, it looked like, hey, that's going to produce some music in their lives. But at the end of the day, there wasn't any change. So... As we look at this text this morning, what I want you to ask yourself, this is kind of one of these self-diagnostic sermons, what, ask yourself, is the music in me? Is the music in me? Have I had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, or am I just carrying around a religious guitar case that doesn't really say anything about the person that I really am? So Mark chapter 4 Verses 1 through 20. This is God's word. Again, he, and this is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. 
Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive And may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, help us as we look at your word now. Uh, I pray that, that as I uh, preach, as I sow the word, uh, that you would use it to great effect uh, in the lives of uh, those who hear today. Uh, would you give us ears to hear your word, Father? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus tells a parable here, right? It's, a, it's about a farmer who goes out to plant seed. In those days, it would be normal for a farmer to, to go out and to, cast, to have kind of his bag across his neck and shoulders and to walk around casting seed out as he's planting the crops. Uh, we don't really do that, but we do do kind of the same thing when we plant fescue grass or something in our front yard. You may grab a bag, stick your hand in it, and you just walk around the yard throwing seed, and they, they fall where they made now, where they may now, the the farmer, uh, as he's planting in this field, all of the soil in the field is not in the same condition. Some parts of the field were hard because people had walked over these; they're kind of like paths through the field, and so some of the seed falls on this hard ground. Other parts of the field, the soil is very shallow. Uh, the soil is very shallow. There's some good soil, but it's very shallow, and there's a rocky layer underneath this soil. Some parts of the field had more weeds in it than others. And then finally, in some parts of the field, it was good dirt. It had good nutrients. It was the right moisture. There were earthworms in it doing their thing. And when the seed hit this part of the field, it grew up and produced fruit. So Jesus, he tells that story. And then he explains the story to his disciples and some who have come and gathered around and asked about it. And he tells us that the seed is actually a picture of the Word of God. So the parable, first of all, is a picture of Jesus and what he's doing 
as he proclaims the word of God, as he teaches the word of God, it's like he's casting seed out uh, into a field. And the parable paints a picture of how different people receive the word of God, how different people respond to the word of God. And one of the things I think Mark includes this in scripture wants us to think about is, have I heard what Jesus is saying? How have I responded to the word of God? Uh, Because if you think about it, we are reenacting the parable this morning. The word of God is being proclaimed. There's seed being cast out this morning. It's being scattered. And every time that seed hits a heart in this room, it's hitting one of these four types of soil. We're reenacting the parable this morning. So let's uh, look at this and, and ask yourself, which one of these soils, which one of these pictures best represents me? What effect is the Word of God having in my life? So, picture number one. Uh, In the first picture, we see the hard ground. The hard ground. Uh, When I I try to plant grass in my front yard, there's always a couple of spots around some of the pine trees that's just really hard and beaten down. There's no topsoil. And you would really have to go up and till that well in order for it to be soft enough uh, for the for the seed to actually take root, but I usually don't have time to do that, and so I just throw it on top of it, and every year the same thing happens. It, it never takes root. The seed can't get into the hard ground, and so it just lays there on top of the soil. That's the picture Jesus paints. This, this seed lays on top of the ground. The birds come along, eat it up. It never has any effect in the person's life. And, and Jesus says this is, this is a picture of what happens when the Word of God encounters hard soil, encounters soil that hasn't been broken up, and so the word has no effect, and Satan just comes in and scoops the word up and takes it away. Now, we tend to look at this and say, all right, well, this is probably that person who, they, they hear the word of God once, they hear something about the Bible, and they just say, nah, that's not for me, and they move on. But this can also be the person who's, I think, whose life experiences have just hardened them uh, to the things of God in general. Uh, And sometimes, to be honest, it's experiences in the church that have brought about that hardness. Uh, The Avid brothers have, I think, great imagery of this type of song. In one of their songs, they say, my heart is like a mason's hands of weathered skin. It's just callous and hard and resistant. I was talking to somebody very early on when we were planning the church and found out they were from an Episcopal background. They weren't really involved in church now. And I, and I tried to, to probe that a little bit and just kind of got the, got the stiff arm. They weren't, they weren't interested in having the conversation at all. Their, their heart was calloused to any conversation uh, of the things of God. But I think this can also be the person who is in church, the person who sits in church week after week after week, because it's a social thing to do. But the word of God really doesn't change who they are the rest of the week. This can also be the elder brother type of person, uh, the, the person who's extremely outwardly moral, but who never really gets grace. Uh, if you've seen Les Mis, I think Inspector Javert is a great illustration of this type of person. Um, he's the law 
in that in Les Mis. He's the law and he represents the law and he's pulled himself up and he's always done what is right and he's punished those who don't keep the law. And so he's, he's chasing the criminal Jean Valjean and at several points in the movie, Jean Valjean extends grace to Javert if you've, if you've seen it. There are, there are several opportunities, one where he could even have killed him and he just continues to show him grace and Javert can't take it. He can't understand how Jean Valjean has been changed, and he can't receive grace for himself. He just can't accept it. He'd rather die than be dependent on grace. You think about the people who are in churches week after week, and there's just a big cross up somewhere in the sanctuary, but they still don't get that cross or what it means, what any of that has to do with grace. And so you can sit even and hear the word, but your heart be resistant to grace. So, questions to ask yourself. Um, do you understand the cross? Do you understand what the cross is all about? Does what you hear on Sunday have any effect on who you are Monday through Saturday? Do you experience conviction for sin? And when you do, do you know what it means to repent of that sin and to run to Jesus, to flee to Jesus for forgiveness? Is your belief in Jesus more than just a generic belief in God? Are you actually trusting Jesus as your Savior? Are you relying on him for your standing with God and not your own good works? Uh, uh, Imagine that for the next two months... Every Sunday, I told you that due to construction at Pine Street, we would not be meeting at Pine Street Elementary this summer. And that's actually true, okay? All right, so it's more than an illustration. It's an announcement. We're not going to be meeting here this summer. But imagine if I did that week after week after week, and then the first Sunday in June, you still showed up here. You're like, where is everybody? You heard the word. You heard the word repeatedly, but it never really took root and changed anything. Has the word of God really gotten into you? That's the question raised by the, by the first picture. So the second picture is a picture of seed that falls on rocky ground. Uh, the, there's soil there, but it's shallow, and so when the seed sprouts, it springs up, but because the soil is, is shallow... Uh, there's not much moisture there, and so the plant quickly dies. Jesus says, this is the person that hears the gospel. I can be right with God by, by trusting in Jesus. And they get excited about it, and they profess to be a believer, and they seem to walk with Jesus for a time, and then they just kind of drift away. They just drift away. Now, you hear often the phrase, once saved, uh, always saved. And I, I do think that is true, but I think the key in that is the, the word once saved. Once the person is actually saved. See, scripturally, it's possible to have this really exciting spiritual experience that doesn't go all the way to true conversion. Maybe you walk the aisle, maybe you said a prayer or checked a box, and then that person disappears. They just have nothing to do with the faith for a long time. But you could find them years later and they would say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And and what do they mean by that? 
They think of salvation as something that they did. I, I walked down front years ago. I prayed that prayer years ago. They voted for Jesus in their mind. I cast my vote for Jesus. But what are they doing? They're trusting in something that they did. It's something I did years ago. It's, it's my work of trusting that got me in. Salvation is through faith in Christ. It's not faith in something I do. It's not faith in a prayer that I said. It's faith in Jesus. It's trusting in what he did and repenting of my sins and turning and following him. But that faith and that repentance, that yes, there is a defining start to the Christian life where you acknowledge your sin and you trust in Jesus. But then faith and repentance are going to be things you do every day for the rest of your life. You're continuing. It's not that you're getting saved over and over again, but a Christian continues to acknowledge their sin and and when they see it, repent and run back to Jesus and continue to trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. Let me give you, let me give you two illustrations, I think, that, that help really with, with, I think, this one and the next soil as well. There's a lot of people who are Golden State Warrior fans right now. now the Golden State Warriors are an NBA basketball team. They won the championship last year. Uh, they have a chance this year to have the best regular season record in NBA history. And so suddenly... There are a lot of people who are cheering for Golden State. They're all fired up about them. They're the new thing. But what's going to happen when they quit winning? When they start losing again? All these fans are going to disappear. They look like fans, but at the end of the day, they were just kind of caught up in the, in the scene. So the second illustration of this. Uh, if you were a kid in the, in the 80s, you probably owned the Rubik's Cube. Now, most people, you know, I remember Rubik's Cube is a little thing like this, and you turn around and try to get all the, the colors the same. Uh, most people who own Rubik's Cubes never really got it, right? Maybe you solved two sides, you got a couple of the colors right, and then you just said, all right, forget it. And then at some point in your life, your mom threw it away, and it was just gone. Keith Groover, on the other hand, solved the Rubik's Cube. The cube got inside of him. And to this day, he can still solve the Rubik's Cube in about three seconds, blindfolded with his hands tied behind his back. He does it with his teeth, so don't take the cube from him. It's kind of nasty. But, but it's, it's in him, all right? It wasn't just this passing fad of, oh, this is, this is cool. It's in him. It wasn't just a phase. That's the person Jesus is talking about here is, is, is people for whom Christianity is just a phase, It was just something that kind of seemed cool and exciting at the time, but it never really was real. And that was shown when times got rough, when persecution for the faith came. They said, you know what, I don't don't think this is really for me. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, I think, describes this type of person well. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. And so what this is teaching us is that true faith in Christ perseveres. It perseveres. It doesn't mean there are never any hiccups. It doesn't mean there are never any doubts. It doesn't mean there aren't any big hairy sins where you drive the car off in the ditch for a while. Yes, all of those things happen. 
But true faith over the long haul continues and perseveres. Uh, one of the, the catechisms we use sometimes is the, the shorter catechism. It's kind of like the New City Catechism, so it's older and harder to understand. Uh, but, but the shorter catechism asks this question, What does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? How do we escape the wrath that we deserve because we're sinners? And and here's how they answer that. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ. Yep. Repentance unto life. Yes. And and you feel like, all right, they they said what they needed to say, right? They, They should stop there. Faith and repentance in Jesus. But then they add, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us all the benefits of redemption. And that used to kind of bug me a little bit because I would, I would read that and say, are they, are they saying that you have to add something to what Jesus has already done? And if you look at the rest of the catechism, it becomes obvious that that's not at all what they're saying. Well, what are they saying then? They're saying that saving faith perseveres, that saving faith takes root. They're saying, yes, God preserves his people. He preserves his people, but he does that through means. It doesn't just kind of like magically happen. He does that through means. And the means that he uses to keep us are the word, worship, sacraments, prayer, participating in all of these things. Uh, Let me put it like this. A person who has truly been brought into relationship with Jesus is going to want to have fellowship with Jesus, going to want to have communion with Jesus, want to be connected to him. And the means that God gives us to do that are the word and prayer and worshiping together as his people. And so we take up these things and and we read and we pray and we thank him and we praise him. Uh, We see our sin and we repent and we confess and we run back to Jesus again. And God uses that to keep us and to to preserve us in the faith. So let me ask you a a few diagnostic questions on this one. Um, Do you pray? Do you pray? Um, Children talk to their parents. Children talk to their parents. Christians want to talk to their daddy. Do you pray? Uh, what does your prayer life look like? Is, is your prayer life consist completely of requests of, God, I need you to do this, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do this? Are you more and more longing to praise God and to adore him? Do you, are, you, are you seeing who he is and what he's, what he's done? Is that leading you... To praise him. Is, and let me ask you a different way. Is God just a vending machine in the sky to you? Or do you actually love Jesus? Do you actually love Jesus? Do you confess uh, and repent of your sins on a regular basis? Is, is what Jesus has done on the cross a big deal to you? Uh, are you, are you willing to, to stand with scripture at times and against the tide of culture? And say, no, I'm, I'm going to stand on the truth of the Bible. Um, you know, it, with the direction our culture feels like it's going, there is going to be more and more cost to being a believer. 
sometimes we create self-inflicted wounds by getting bent out of shape about things we don't need to get bent out of shape about. But, but in general, there is going to be more of a cost to being a Christian in America. More and more likelihood of suffering for the faith. And what are we going to see then? Are we going to find out that there's a lot of people in category two? A lot of almost Christians. They got excited, but then trouble comes wrong, and it gets harder to follow God. It's not cool to follow God, and they decide, maybe this isn't for me. Third picture. Third picture. The weeds crowd out the plants. Now, now what does this show us? This is a picture of somebody who's, who's like the second person. They've heard the word of God. They appear to have believed it and become a follower of Christ. But then something happens, and these people gradually fall away as well. What happened? Jesus says it's the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other, thing, other things that choke out the word and they make it unfruitful. Uh, somebody said once, thousands of things which in themselves are innocent become, when followed to excess, little better, better than soul poisons and helps to hell. Football games, vacations, promotions, good things, good things. But the danger is often not in the obviously bad things. A lot of times the danger is in the good things. Um, Better Call Saul is, is becoming my new go-to television series. Saul Goodman is a, is a huckster lawyer. Uh, he's always trying to hustle. He's always cutting corners. He's always chasing ambulances. He's always doing things that are a little unethical in order to make a buck fast. But then he stumbles onto this really big legitimate case. Uh, and he gets a position in a legitimate, uh, well-thought-of law firm. And so he joins this law firm, and he falls for Kim, who's another uh, lawyer, who's after him. Hey, man, you got to take advantage of what you've been given here and quit cutting corners and do the right thing and be a respectable lawyer, and this is all going to work out for you. Just, just do it the right way. But it bugs him. The rules bug him. The constraints bug him. He, he wants the excitement of doing things the way he's always done them. He wants to win at any cost. He wants quick money without discipline. And you can see it looks like he's changed. He's got a new car. He's at the respectable firm. He's got a nice suit. He's trying to do things the right way. But he hasn't really changed. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things keep pulling him away. Um, I'll be honest. This is the most unnerving of the three to me, uh, because this has the most potential, I think, generally speaking, to be any one of us here. Because, again, it's not the obviously bad things that drag the person away. It's the good thing that's desired too strongly. And at the end of the day, this is the person that may be carrying the Jesus guitar case, but the music isn't really in them. Jesus really isn't their first love. It's money or power or security or pleasure or comfort. 
they haven't really turned from their idols uh, that we talked about earlier. And this is even, another thing that makes this hard to talk about is, and, and you need to hear this as I'm saying this, um, there are a lot of weeds still in the heart of a true Christian. There are a lot of idols, little eyes still in, in my life and in your life that, that God is working on. Sanctification is a process. So don't feel like, well, I see these things in my life that are wrong. That doesn't necessarily mean you are in this soil. But in the life of a believer, what is there? There's, there's growth. There's repentance. You're weeding the garden. You're doing battle with your idols. You're not just saying, oh, it's, it's okay, fine, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Do you know what they are? Do you know what your idols are? Do they con- concern you? Are you weeding the garden? Are you, are you doing battle with them? That's what the garden of a Christian looks like. Yes, there are weeds, and, and sometimes you pull it up and it comes back again. But you're doing battle with the sin that's in your life. What about the fourth person here, the fourth picture this is the seed that's sown on good soil and bears this big supernatural crop. Uh, we've got a lot of oak trees in our yard, and these oak trees make a whole lot of acorns, and they're, they're all over the yard, and the squirrels eat a lot of them. But, but if any one of those acorns finds the right kind of soil, what does it have the ability to become? I mean, it has the ability to become a massive oak tree that produces thousands of acorns. And if those acorns find the right type of soil, they can produce another oak tree. They can produce oak trees enough to to cover the whole earth even, as it were. The story is told of a minister who visited a graveyard where a grave had been split in half. How had it been split in half? Where there was a tiny crack... And an acorn fell in it, and it grew up an oak tree and split the grave, the gravestone, wide open. And there was this tree growing out of the grave. I just, I just love that image of, of just an acorn falling into the grave, falling into to death, as it were. And then new life, abundant life, springing out of that grave. I mean, isn't that the picture of what the Word of God does in the life of believer, it, it falls in to where we are dead in sin, and then out of that springs abundant life, abundant life. The Word of God, in particular, the, this message of the gospel, when it takes root in our lives, it bears fruit. It bears fruit. Jesus says in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And they're not inviting you to select one. Uh, The Word of God begins to bear this type of fruit in the believer's life. It's a process. And we're all in process. But when it gets down in there, it will begin to bring about change in our lives. Uh, How's that happen? Thomas Chalmers has a a famous sermon from many years ago called The Expulsive Power of of New Affections. Uh, And and in it he says this. Let me read just a a section of the sermon to you. 
He says that seldom that any of our tastes are made to disappear by a mere process of natural extinction. At least it is very seldom that this is done through the instrumentality of reasoning. It's almost never done by the mere force of mental determination. Like, I just, I'm going to change. Like, that, that almost never happens. But what cannot be thus destroyed may be dispossessed. And one taste may be made to give way to another. And to lose its power entirely as the reigning affection of the mind. It is thus that the boy ceases at length to be the slave of his appetite. But it is because a manlier taste has now brought it into subordination. And that the youth ceases to idolize pleasure. But it is because the idol of wealth has become the stronger and gotten the ascendancy. And that even the love of money ceases to have the mastery over the heart of many a thriving citizen. But it is because drawn into the whirl of city politics... Another affection has been wrought into his moral system, and he is now lorded over by the love of power. There is not one of these transformations in which the heart is left without an object. Its desire for one particular object may be conquered, but as to its desire for having some one object or other, this is unconquerable. And what he's saying is, your heart can leave idols behind it can leave idols behind but it's always because it's attracted to a new idol and you can kind of see as he and and you look like oh i'm done with that well what really you've just moved on to another one Uh, and you can see how he says the youth gives up pleasure but why did that go away because now it's all about wealth and money well then that seemed to go away well why because now it's all about political power and they've just changed one object of his affections what his heart was set on changed him and led him to the next thing. There's, there's, there's always a new love. There's always a new object of worship. That's what changes us. He goes on to say that we change ultimately in, in the good way as Jesus becomes more and more the object of our affections. As we fall in love with Christ, as he becomes supreme in our thinking, That's what brings about change in our lives. We hear the gospel. We hear it over and over. We hear the bad news. You're worse than you ever thought you were. But then we hear the good news that Jesus came to rescue sinners. That Jesus came to die for sinners. And that in Christ we are more loved than we ever dared to dream. And as that message of the gospel takes hold of us, uh, as one of the, the older hymns, I think it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, says, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, what really changes us is not it's like this self-will motivation pro- project. It's seeing Jesus and seeing how lovely he is and seeing his glory and seeing that he has forgiven me. That's what changes us. We become like the things that we love. We become like the things that we love. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Which which soil do you think represents you? Uh, There's the the obviously not believer, the, the hard soil. There's the rocky soil and the weedy soil where they feel like they're almost believers, but they're... Not quite there 
And then there's the good soil who embrace the gospel and love the gospel and love Jesus, and that begins to bear fruit in their lives. I got two fears in preaching this sermon, and I'm going to tell you what the two fears are, and then I'm going to quit. There's two, two fears. Number, number one is that in hearing this, you're going to think of somebody uh, that you want to know Christ. You know they need Jesus, but you're going to be discouraged because you think about them and you're saying, well, they must be that hard soil because I've been praying for them for a long time and, and nothing seems to be happening. And verse 11 and 12 are hard verses, and they do tell us that at times God uses his word to confirm people in their hardness. Like it almost has a, has a hardening effect on them, and he's sovereign in that. But the fact that he's sovereign in that also tells me that he can and does break open hard ground. That he can and does break open hard ground. See, when we sow the soil on, when we sow the seed on good soil, it's not because that was an inherently better person. I'm just carrying around good soil in my heart. It's because God has already been there beforehand, and He's been tilling up that soil by His Spirit and preparing Him to hear the Word of God. So don't give up on that person you think is hard soil that's never going to change because God delights to save sinners and God can break open the hardest of hearts and make it good soil in which his word can take root. My second fear is this, uh, is that you'll hear this and you'll identify with one of the first three soils and you'll rightly want to do something about that, but you'll wrongly think the answer is that you just need to try harder and be better. And that would be like somebody who is jaundiced and, and their skin's yellowing, saying, well, what I need to do is put makeup on so I can go out and won't appear so yellow, when really what you need to do is deal with what's going on on the inside. See, the answer, if you fall into one of these first three souls, is not for you to try harder to be a better person. The answer is for you to see Jesus and to see what he has done in the, at the cross. And to see the glory of that and to see his love for you. To hear the good news of the gospel and to be changed by that. And so my prayer for you is that, as Jesus says, that God would give you ears to hear. To hear the gospel and believe the gospel. Because when you believe it and it takes root in your heart, it will produce a crop. 30, 60 or even a hundredfold, you will be amazed by what God is able to do in your heart and in your life. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, I pray that you would um, help us to examine ourselves, but to examine ourselves rightly. I pray that you would give us... um, spiritual understanding to rightly evaluate the condition uh, of our hearts. Uh, and I pray that uh, if we look and we see and we are the, feel like we are the hard soil or the shallow soil, uh, Father, if, 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 we are, if we are not the good soil, Father, I pray that the, the answer to this in our lives would not be to, to run and try to do something, but that it would be to, to run to Jesus. So I pray that we would see the cross this morning and see Christ lifted up and understand what that means and understand the free offer of the gospel to all who will come uh, and receive him. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.